1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We've been in a series recently called uh, Run to the Roar. By the way, did y'all enjoy Matt Gum last week, the, the, the comedian, all that kind of stuff? That was great. That was a lot of fun. Anyway, I think you should have fun when you come. So anyway, we've been talking about this series, and the first couple of weeks we talked about finding your purpose, and I really believe the last thing the enemy wants you to find is your purpose. Um, we talked about vision last week, and we talked about the importance of that, Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, the people perish. Because I really do, truly believe that the devil knows that you're too smart to do a wrong thing, but what he wants to do, if he can't get you to do a wrong thing, is he'll get you to do a good thing. As long as you don't do a great thing. He's okay with you doing a good thing. Just don't do a great thing. Don't, what's a great thing? The great thing is the purpose that you were born for. That's your purpose. And so what he does is he distracts us from our purpose by the great things that he desires to do through us by getting us to do good things. My question is, why are so many people in this day and hour, especially in our culture that we live, so unhappy? We have so many resources, so many things that we can enjoy on a daily basis, and, and yet people are depressed and discouraged and living in stress and anxiety, and some have made fortunes and only to spiral into a deep depression. Some have been, had successful careers and made a name for themselves, and yet they, they, they're sad all the time. Other people have found influence, and, and yet they can't seem to maintain a daily lifestyle without resorting to some kind of a drug or some kind of a addiction to carry them through the day. And you ask yourself, how in the world can this be when there's so many things to enjoy in this world? I was saddened, as perhaps some of you were this past week, to hear the news of a young, beautiful young lady named um, Chesley Christ, who at the age of 30 years old, who had won the Miss USA pageant in 2019, tragically jumped to her death from her 29th floor Manhattan apartment on 42nd Street. She had everything. She was a civil attorney. She she was a broadcaster and by everyone's standards beautiful and yet she jumped off of a balcony to her death. I read into that story, I'm like, how, how can this be? She wrote an article last year before turning 30 and she wrote about the thought of turning 30. Now, now this is her, now I would love to have a 30, you know, birthday. I'm not trying to make fun of, by all means, I'm, I'm, this is a tragic, but, but she wrote an article about turning 30 and she said, every time I think of turning 30, I, I cringe, it infuriates me. It's a cold reminder that I'm running out of time to matter in society and in the eyes of those around. She would have a breakdown and she would go to a hospital and for eight days she would come out of the hospital after turning 30, and she wrote this, this uh, little um, article. And she said, the lessons I've learned, the most important lessons, or excuse me, the most important questions that I've learned in, is the question why. 
Why earn more achievements? Why pursue another medal or line item to put on my resume? This is what she's learned. And why work so hard only to find emptiness? And I quote, I know I now enter year 30 searching for joy and purpose. I enter year 30 searching for joy and purpose. There on that dirty sidewalk in New York City, a beautiful young lady ended her life because she could not find why she was created. It doesn't matter how much you have or how pretty you might be. If you don't have purpose, your life, in your own perspective, is meaningless. You ask many college students today, what is your purpose? And what's the work that you're preparing for? And their answer will be, oh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to be a, an engineer, and I, or I'm going to be a chemical uh, scientist, or I, I'm going to be a doctor, a lawyer, what, whatever. But, but the, the, no, I'm not asking you what, what kind of job you're having, you're going to have. I'm going to ask you, what is your work? What is your purpose? Because here's what you need to understand. There's a difference between a job and your purpose, or a job and your work. They're not the same. Let me say it like this. Your job is what they pay you to do. But your work is what you were born to do. Oh, come on now. It, my job is my skill. It's my, it's my gift. It's my talents, my craft. But my work is my ministry. My, my job is where my finances come from, but my work is where my purpose comes from. There's a difference. You, you can take someone's uh, uh, job away, but you, you can never take their work away because they're totally separate. Jesus never called anything he did a job. I'm sure there was times with the disciples that he perhaps could have whispered that. Man, this is a job. Knuckleheads. But he never called anything he did a job. In fact, he says in John 10, 37, do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. Jesus' job was carpentry. But Jesus' work was to redeem humanity. Mm. You go to some place on a Monday morning, you type in a, or you punch in a little clock, a little card, and you go do your job. But you live to go to work. See, when the Holy Spirit breathes into your works, you begin to affect other people. Moses was this individual who had a job as a shepherd. And God took him from his job and put him to work. And he went and he literally salvaged three million people and brought them out of their bondage. And as he's leading them into the wilderness, there was an uprisal, or uprising against him. And they begin, some of the leaders begin to rebel against him. And he responded to them and said this in number 16, hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these what? Works. 
In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, they ministered to the Lord. They fasted. The Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the works whereunto I have called them. See, God has called us to be a people that go to work. In fact, you might want to go tomorrow morning when you go to your job, and you might want to just after you punch in your time clock, turn everybody in the office and say, I want you to know I no longer work here. I won't give you the 40 best hours of my week, but I just want you to know this ain't nothing more than just my job. My work is somewhere else. In fact, you might not want to do that, but... But you at least need to think about that, and that's the way you approach your life. You don't have to enjoy your job, but you do and have to, and you better enjoy your work. Amen. See, we think, I don't like this job. This job don't make me happy. Your job's not supposed to make you happy. Your job's supposed to give you some money so you can do your work. You're jumping from job to job trying to be happy, and the job's never going to make you happy. It is your work that makes you happy. It is your work that brings you contentment. It's your purpose that brings life into your soul. Come on, somebody. I was talking with, I was young in ministry. I just started full-time ministry as a youth, youth pastor. I was 23 years or 24 years old, and this guy is an executive for a bank, comes to my office. The pastor was out of town. The banker says, um, JP, I need to make a major decision in my life. He's an executive at a bank. I said, what's your decision? He, he need to make, he said, I, I, I just feel frustrated doing my job. He goes, you know, I, I tell you, what, what, what I love to do I said, what do you love to do? What's, what, what brings life? What breathes life into you? He said, what breathes life into me is what I do after I get off my job. I said, what is that? He goes, he goes I, I go out into the streets. I find homeless people. I feed them. I've, I've even rented a, a house and I put people into a house. And, and he says, that breathes, just breathes life into me. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm so in love in doing that. I think I should quit my job. I got, a, I got two kids, I got a wife. They don't understand. I need you, pastor, tell me what I should do. I'm like, dude, I'm barely into this ministry thing. Don't put that on me, that's too heavy. I said, why don't we just pray? Maybe, maybe Jesus will say something to you. So we knelt down at that couch and I'm like inside going, oh God, talk to this brother, please. And I'll tell you what, we got up off that couch and he goes, I think God spoke to me. I said, oh, good, good. what did he say? He said, I'm going to go quit my job. I said, well, let's pray again. Let's just pray again. <laughs> Father God, we, <laughs> we got up from that couch and he was like, I'm even more sure now. I know this is what I need to do. I said, okay, Jesus, help him. And uh, so he went out and he quit his job. He just started doing full-time all that he had been doing as a part-time thing on the side after work. And now that man, after uh, doing all that, he launched in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, the most successful charity program that Hattiesburg's ever seen. It's still there today. They got warehouses. They feed the homeless. They clothe the homeless. They have an incredible ministry because he decided he didn't need to do a job. He needed to do his work. Now listen, don't you go quitting your jobs. 
I'm just telling you, you need to do some work. I went to, I was in Bible college and, and I, needed a, I needed a job. And so I, I went and was hired at Harland Check Printing Company. And it was a company that just literally printed checkbooks, checks uh, that people would use. Uh, and so it was my job to go and I would, I would um, clean all the typeset there and, and then I would take these orders that they would bring and I would kind of find the typeset that would fit these orders and put them, you know, into this little tray and I would take it to the, the checkers and they would make sure that it was all correct information before they pass it on to the printers. It took me about two days to learn my job. It took me about two weeks before I learned my work. My job was cleaning typesets, but my work was Lester and Diane. It took me about two weeks as I began to build relationships there on the job. Lester, he was losing his hair and he had a red mustache and he had this little beer belly with, you know, the, the pants down here and the belt, you know what I'm saying? The big, you know what I'm talking about? Just like he, the belt should have been up here, but it was down there. And, and he walked around, he had cowboy boots and, and uh, he walked around and, and uh, so I started doing my work, gradually just kind of seeing where he was at with, with the Lord and having conversations with Lester. Lester. Lester was also in charge of the music that was being played in, the, in all the workstations in the entire building. And, and, uh, and it was hard rock and roll, man. And you know, all these pounding princes, print presses going on, this pounding rock and roll. And so that was Lester. And then there was Diane, a.k.a. Stoneface. So no one called her that. I, I just kind of made that up myself because that's exactly what she was. She, she had no emotion. She had no personality. She walked with a limp. And she was mean as the devil. I mean, she would write me these little nasty notes on my coming back because I'd make a mistake with these red letters, red letters, red check, circles and everything. You need, to, you need to pay attention to what you're doing. You know, just, just mean. And so I'd write back a little note with the scripture. I, I, I started learning scripture. And so I, I said, well, I'll just practice with stone face. And so I'd write, you know, my scripture that I was learning. And then I'd submit it to her, you know. And she'd look at this and look at me like that. And I'd walk off smiling. Which I had enough nerve to actually walk up and put my hand on her back. It took a lot of nerve. I'd rather put my hand on a snake. I was like... Hey, Diane. And my work was to tell Lester and Diane about Jesus. I don't know how long I worked there, nine, 11 months. Listen, by the time I got done doing my work and I was leaving that job, Lester had knew and heard the gospel message several times. We'd had in-depth conversations. I brought him to the point of salvation, but he always was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready yet, you know, and, and, and which is okay, but, you know, I, the kingdom of God came. I would actually sneak in as he was out of the office because his, the radio was in his office, and I would turn into the Christian radio station and just sneak back out, and he would be like this, going like this, and, 
And then he just not even do that. He just let me play my little Christmas, mu- Christmas music all across the workstations. And, and so, so my work was Lester. Lester was touched by the kingdom of God, but stone face. When I told her this is going to be my last week, she got emotional. She, she actually went, really? I thought you wanted me to quit. I mean, I didn't know you. Is it? I'm actually going to miss you. She might as well just said, will you marry me? I mean, that, that was like, what? Your job is what you get paid to do. But your work is what you're called to do. We will, many of us have plans to do things, but what we really need is God's purpose. We all have plans. Many, Proverbs 19, 21, are the plans in a person's heart. But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Uh, Just the difference between a purpose and a plan, real quickly, purpose is more powerful than plans. And I've also found that purpose is more important than plans. And thirdly, I've learned that purpose precedes plans. We'll go from time to time deep sea fishing, and some of you have done that before, and you'll get in a boat, and, and they'll start putting in the coordinates of where they're going. What is that? They're putting in the plan. The plan is to get to this particular coordinates, but the purpose is to catch some red snapper. There's a difference between your plans and your purpose. David already knew his purpose because Samuel had come to him as a young boy and prophesied over him that you would be the next king of Israel. He understood his purpose. But he was a shepherd boy out stuck in the side of of a little hills outside of Bethlehem until he was doing what his father had asked him to do to go take some food to his brothers who were supposedly fighting the battles against the Philistines. And he arrives in 1 Samuel 17 and and he hears Goliath shouting, or can I say roaring to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man, have him come down to me. And since David knew his purpose, The plan came in a moment. David arrived as a shepherd, but he knew his purpose wasn't to be a shepherd, but to be a king. Come on. Listen, can I just tell you that you are a king and a priest and even a prophet in the kingdom of God? You have the same mantle that Jesus had? And and David arrived as a king, knowing that's his purpose, even though he was a shepherd, and and when he heard the roar of Goliath, uh, something inside of him began to churn because he realized that, that kings can't listen to someone defy or defame the name of God. And so his purpose began to churn inside of him. He, he began to get stirred up inside because, because this was anti what he was called to do. He was called to preserve. He was called eventually to save. He was called to protect uh, this nation called Israel. And even though he's a shepherd inside, uh, the plan was to bring some bread. Uh, but instead, the purpose said, bring deliverance. Come on, you can have a plan, but it better bring your purpose. And so David's purpose drove him 
with a little slingshot and five rocks out to a giant into his purpose. And once he slew that giant, he began to be thrust into his purpose. And so the question I have for you this morning is, what is your roar? What is your roar? What is the Goliath that's defying the Christ inside of you? Heavy questions this morning. I don't know if you came ready for these. What is it that is saying to you, the Goliath, you're a nothing, you're a nobody. You're a washed up, could have been, should have been, but no longer will be. What is it screams that you're in your head at night? What is it that says you'll never become anything? You'll never get over that addiction. You'll never get over that habit. You'll never get over that obstacle. What is it that screams and always, whenever you try to rise up and do something for the Lord, it just puts you right back in this place that you've been? What is this roar that says you've always been a failure? What is this roar that says you don't deserve this good thing that's happening to you? you go ahead and sabotage it now because it's not going to be in your future. You know it's not going to work out. Go ahead and sabotage this relationship. Sabotage this job. Go ahead and get it over because you know it's not going to be your future because you don't deserve it. What is that? Goliath. What is that roar that stands out in the middle of the field and go, come on, see if you can beat me. See if you can rise up and be something. No, you can't. What is the roar? Can I just say this? You don't find the roar. The roar finds you. David wasn't going looking for no roar. He was looking to find his brothers and give them some food. But in the process of doing his job, he found his work, he found his purpose, and he found the roar. Disciples didn't go out looking for ministry. Ministry found them. Peter and John, they're just fishermen. They're just trying to catch fish. And ministry, Jesus comes along and calls them into something called their purpose. Moses wasn't seeking to be a deliverer. Oh, one time he was, but now he's settled in to life because he had failed the Lord, so he's just gonna be a shepherd. But, but God came, he had second, God had another, uh, another uh, uh, option for him and he comes in a burning voice, a burning bush, and he begins to speak to him with a voice saying, come, here's your purpose, I'm gonna send you back into Egypt. Noah wasn't seeking to build a boat to, to rescue humanity. God came and found him and said, this is what you're gonna do. Paul didn't seek after the Lord to be a apostle. He was just going about his business and when God came and the roar of Jesus came and knocked him to the ground and shining light shone in his face and he realized he was called to something greater than what he was doing. It was Peter who didn't ask to be a an apostle to the Gentiles. He wasn't looking to go talk to anybody that was called a Gentile. He was, he was a Jewish guy. He's, all his friends were Jewish, but it was Cornelius through the hand of God that came to him and said, here is your purpose. Here is the roar. It was Abraham just going about his business. And the roar comes to Abraham and says, come out of this place, your father's house and your country and your nation and all that you've known into the purposes that I have for you. It was Jesus himself who wasn't even looking for a roar, but his mama came and said, oh no, this is the time. You're going to go do this miracle. What is your roar? What is the roar that you're hearing? John Walsh 
you may have heard the story and remember him. He was involved in building high-end luxury hotels. And in July 28, 1981, he and his six-year-old son Adam were at Sears and Roebuck at the mall in Hollywood, right across from the Hollywood police station. And he looked around, he couldn't find his son. His son was gone. He looked everywhere, his son was gone and reported to the police, my son, I can't find my son. And tragically, 16 days later, they found his son, Adam, dead. And in that moment, John Walsh heard the roar of God. And John Walsh set out to make sure that no one else ever suffered what he was going through. He would launch and begin to be the founder of the Adam Walsh Child Resource Center to write legislation to reform this problem in blight in their country. He organized a political campaign to help missing and exploited children. He was instrumental in writing the Missing Children Act of 1982 and the Missing Children's Assistance Act in 1984. He even launched his own show called America's Most Wanted in 1988, the longest running TV reality show in Fox history that led to the capture of a thousand different fugitives who had kidnapped people as a crime. What did he do? He decided that he would hear the roar and the roar would lead him into his purpose. Are you tracking with me? My personal story, I grew up as an underdog. I grew up, you know, wanting the acceptance of my peers, but realizing at some point, in order to be accepted by my peers, I would have to compromise my faith and my belief, and, and I wasn't willing to do that. And, and so, I, as a result, I was ostracized by my friends because I wanted to stay committed to the Lord. And so, as fate would have it, I lived out in a little country, a little farm, a little farmhouse, two-bedroom, little farmhouse out in the middle of the country, and if I ever wanted to hang out and play or do anything with anybody, it would be my neighbors that would live down the road. One lived just up the road, and one lived about a couple of lives a quarter of a mile. And, and these, these weren't popular kids. These were, these were kids that, that were not affluent at all. These were kids that, that were the nobodies of our school system. And yet they became my friends, Ricky, Ronnie, Chucky. And we would spend hours together. I would ride my little horse over to Ricky and Ronnie's house, right over the hill, and I'd come, I'd come over the hill and down the little dirt road where their house was, and there'd be smoke coming out of the house because they didn't have electric heat. They, all they had was a wood-burning stove. And whenever I was around Ricky and Ronnie, they smelled like smoke all the time. Their hair was never combed and their, their clothes were always soiled. And Ronnie, the heavyset one, and Ricky, the skinny one, became my friends. And Chucky became my friends. And we've spent hours and hours together in the process of building forts in the woods and playing games that kids play. I began to love the underdogs. 
And when I was on the bus and they would be made fun of, I, something inside of me would just go crazy. And I began to find this thing, this feeling, this, I didn't know it was a roar, but it was something inside of me that said, somebody's gotta stand up for the people that no one wants. And I, I found myself just kind of always gravitating to these types of individuals. And, 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 and then this thing, crazy thing began to happen. I'll have the worship team, watch I'll come on up if you don't mind. I was about 28 years old and I was living in Baltimore, I was on staff at a church and, and I started, I, started we, I, lived, I had a roommate and we had a, like a little 800 square foot apartment building apartment, and, and I started having this desire to read about missionaries. It's crazy. And so I started checking out a book, Bruchko, man, just radically changed my life, about this young 19-year-old who left, the, the, you know, Minnesota and went down to Columbia, uh, South America, and began to, he had the heart to reach the cannibals. <laughs> And by himself, you know, in a tent, reaching these cannibals with the gospel. And I'm like, who would do that? And why? And the whole story about his life, and his, his name is Bruce. And I mean, it was an amazing story and how the Lord used him to literally bring salvation to all these cannibals in Colombia. And, and I would begin to read stories about Hudson Taylor and the great exploits he did in China as a missionary and, and, and stories from Don Richardson about a book called Eternity in Their Hearts and Peace Child and they just begin to mess me up and I, I begin to think, you know, somebody needs to tell these people about Jesus. So I'm single and I don't have any bills and I said, God, would you, are you kind of putting this burden on my heart because you want me to go to another nation, I'll, I'll do it, Lord, tell me where to go. And I began to go to uh, libraries and begin to check out books in all these different countries. And I'm, I'm like, maybe if I read books about these other countries, God will just like burn a country in my heart. Maybe that'll be the sign that I need to go to that country. And, and I pray and say, God, what country, what country? And I, I, I never get anything, just nothing. I've just got all these country books and I'm learning all this stuff about these nations. I have, but nothing's firing inside of my heart, but yet there was something going on and about that time, this young boy, um, a young man by the name of Jim Mason came to church. And Jim, Jim had come straight out of jail because we had a jail ministry. And the people in our jail ministry said, listen, if you don't have anywhere to go, just come to our church when you get out and we'll try to figure something out. Well, those guys never tried to figure nothing out for nobody. It was me. They bring him, and they, so Jim Mason was the guy who came to church, and, and he got saved, and we would baptize him right there in water, right after we would uh, lead him to Christ, and so he got baptized, and everybody else was, most everybody had gone home, and it was me and a few other people, and he's getting dressed, and I'm waiting for him, and, and so I, I, he came out of the dressing room, I said, Jim, just want to say thank you for coming, praise the Lord, I'm here for you, and just, you know, I hope to see you next week. He goes, well, I hope I can get here. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, I I, 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 I walked here basically and, and uh, I don't really have a ride. I said, well, I'll give you a ride home. And, and he goes, okay. And so, so I gave him a ride home and we drove up to this old beat up house. And, and, uh, and I said, was well, that where you're staying? He goes, well, 
kinda, I stay on the porch. It's cold, wintry day, snow on the ground. And I said, what do you mean you stay on the porch? He goes, well, they don't let me inside. I've been in jail, so I, I have a little, a little cot on the front porch. And the porch was a screened-in porch without a screen, with a little knee wall, knee wall there, but no screen on the porch. It was cold outside. He got out and he said, yeah, that's where I stay. And I said, okay, Jim, well, I hope to see you next Sunday. And he goes, okay. He's walking about halfway, he gets halfway up the sidewalk and the Lord grabs me and goes, really? <laughs> really? He comes to Jesus, gives his heart, and you're gonna just let him go sleep in the, on, on a porch. Hey, Jim! Yeah. Hey, come back. Yeah. Hey, listen, it's too cold to be sleeping on the porch. Why don't you come stay with me? Oh, no, no, man. I couldn't do that to you. No, no, come on. Really? Yeah, yeah, go grab your stuff. Come stay with me. So Jim, come stay with me. And the next morning I woke up and Jim's sleeping on the floor and it was my sleeping bag. And, and I thought to myself, what am I going to do with Jim now? I got to go to work. Work. I said, Jim, you're coming to work with me. He goes, okay. So Jim would come to the church and he would clean up the church and all that stuff and then I'd take him home with me. Two weeks later, some of these jail ministers came and introduced me to Phil. <laughs> hey, Phil just came out of jail. I know you took Jim in and he needs a place. Oh, okay. Hi, Phil. Hey, so Jim and Phil came, and then there was Greg, Kevin, and they kept coming. I had eight guys sleeping on the floor of my little living room. All looked like tamales, you know, just all rolled together. It was the craziest thing I ever seen. They, they would wake up in the middle of the night, they didn't know each other, and they would just be like, you know, is this guy going to, I said, one more, I looked at this guy, he was like red ball, red eyes. I said, you didn't get no sleep? He goes, no, man, I don't know this guy next to me. I, he could shank me. I'm like, what's a shank? What's that mean? I didn't know nothing about that stuff. He goes, he could stab me, man. I, I, I don't even know these guys. I said, well, it's going to be okay. They know Jesus and we're okay. And so then finally someone heard that I was putting eight people in this little tiny apartment. And he goes, hey, I got a house I'll give you. I said, Really? He goes, yeah, don't get excited. It should be condemned. <laughs> well, thank you. So I went and looked at the house and it should have been condemned. Rat infested, windows busted out, door hanging off the, sh the, the hinges, big transmission engines in the, in the front of the, right next to the interstate. And I said, ah, I don't think this is gonna be the place. And my pastor at that time said, oh, I think this is a good place. We'll fix this up. Well, he didn't do nothing to fix it up. I had to do it. <laughs> and so I, I said, okay, well, we'll go for it. And so I remember I'm in the truck and got my belongings in the back of my truck. And I'm driving to this condemned house with eight recently out of the jail guys. And 
I said to God, you got to be kidding me. I didn't sign up for this. I just didn't want to see a guy sleeping on a porch in the cold. It was so funny, Jim. He's such a great... He was, he, we were with, together for months and all I had to feed him was because everything was out of my pocket was soup, you know? One day I was walking by and he was eating his bowl of alphabet soup. He said, Pastor JP, he said, I don't need to, need to want to complain, but <laughs> you think there's anything else I can eat besides alphabet soup? I said, you don't like alphabet soup? He goes, I've been eating this every night. I can smell my, na smell my name's backwards in the bowl. I just, I just need something else. Well, I think we got some chicken noodle soup. We can do that. So, so anyway, I'm in this truck and I'm heading to the house, this new, my, my new home, this rat infested, con condemned house. And I'm complaining, I'm griping, I'm looking out the window and I'm, I'm really not liking this at all. And God says to me, I can hear it as the, it's like thunders it into my, my mind and my heart. And he said, just a question. And you wanted to be a missionary. That's all he said. Just a question. And you wanted to be a missionary. Wow. I said, Father, forgive me. Give me the grace to handle this situation. I'll give you praise. How many know that your purpose doesn't always feel comfortable? But it's not about you feeling comfortable. It's about you being obedient to what he's called you to do. He said, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the fruit of the land. So, I, so we went into that, man, we went into that house and it be, eventually became a homeless shelter. The first homeless shelter in Baltimore County for men all year long. All started out of a conversation with a young man who was sleeping on the porch. I want to challenge us this morning that God has a roar for you. And that roar isn't always pleasant, but it's something you can't get run away from. And you realize somebody has to do something about this situation. I, 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 you may not even feel like you, you have what it takes to, to measure up, to do something about this situation, but that doesn't matter. God calls the unqualified. He qualifies the unqualified. And if you, if you were good enough, he wouldn't use you because he, he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Ay, ay, ay. Let's all, let's all bow our heads. If you're here this morning, you wandered in, you don't even know how you ended up here. Can I tell you, you're not here by accident. That you were born with a purpose and only God knows what that is. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll never know why you were created. You'll never know your purpose. Knowing our purpose begins with a relationship with our Father through Jesus Christ. How do I have that? JP starts with a prayer where you say, Father, forgive me, come into my heart, be my God, be my Lord. That's, what it's, that's how it all begins. It all begins there, it all begins at the cross. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, you would say to me, Pastor JP, today, 
I've walked away from the Lord, or maybe I don't even know God, but I want to know Him today. I want to know my purpose. I know it begins with a relationship with Jesus, and I'm ready today to surrender myself unto Him. If that's you here this morning, right where you're at, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you right where you're at. Raise your hand saying, Pastor JP, I want to know Jesus as the Lord and the Savior of my life. Come on, raise your hand all across the room. I want to know Him as the Lord and Savior of my life. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, and those two hands there. Anybody else? I want to know Jesus as the Lord. In the very back, yes, those two hands. All those one, two, three, four, five hands in the very, very back. Thank you. Yes, in the right, in the very back there. Yes, ma'am, I see that. Come on, is anybody else? I want to know Jesus. I'm going to make a commitment today. He's going to be my Lord. I'm going to serve Him. I'm going to walk into my purpose. Yeah, yeah. Man, thank you so much for raising those hands. Let me pray with you. But before I pray with you, let me just say this to you. This will be the most important prayer that you will ever make, those that raise your hand. The most important prayer that you'll ever make. Because you are making the decision to commit your life to Jesus. It's called repentance. Can I define for you what repentance means? Repentance means you're walking this way, you repent, and now you're walking 180 degree turn the opposite direction. This prayer is a commitment that you're making to the Father that you are turning your life over to Him. You say, well, I don't know if I have it within me to do that. I, it's not about you doing anything other than surrendering. You don't have to do a bunch of calisthenics and work and do all these good things. God will help you learn to live a surrendered life. But it just starts with an invitation. So as they raise your hand, I want to lead you in a prayer. And I want you to pray this prayer out loud. And just so they don't feel uncomfortable, I want everyone to pray it with me. So can we all say this prayer, especially those that raise your hand. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. Forgive me of all of my faults and sins. Come into my heart. Take full control that I may live my purpose for your glory's sake, in Jesus' name. Amen, can we give God some praise for those that raised their hand, amen, thank you. Thank you so much, thank you so much. Welcome, you're my brother, you're my sister now, come on. And there's a little connect card that you have on your seat. I want you to fill that out. And I want you to turn it into that little place, that, by the little banner that we have outside the lobby. And we're gonna give you a Bible, a free Bible, a nice one, and we're gonna invite you into a response and to give you some stuff that you can follow along. And for everyone else, this morning we're gonna have a moment of prayer. I'm gonna have the altar prayer teams to come. Prayer teams, if you would mind coming in front. And we're just gonna to begin to believe God to allow us to hear His roar. So would you stand with me to your feet this morning? And let me have a word of prayer with you as well. How many here would say, man, Pastor, I want to hear the roar that God has for me. Come on. I want to hear the roar. Run to the roar. Run to the roar. Father God, we lift our hands. We lift our hands to you this morning in Jesus' name. And we ask you, Lord God, to come 
and begin, Lord Jesus, to do a powerful work in our life. Show us, Lord God, the roar. Show us the purpose that you have. Show us the plan that you have for us, Father God. In the name of Jesus, we submit ourselves to you, and we believe, Lord God, that you're going to do awesome and mighty and great things in and through our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, we praise you, we love you, and give you all of the glory in Jesus' name. Come on, can we give God some praise for that? In Jesus' name, come on.